Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and uh, um, they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f-ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we put them back in their f-ing houses for f-ing 10 years. Okay, five years and one day to the day since Dublin won the Leinster Senior Football Championship. As Dublin GA tweeted yesterday, on this day in 2015, our senior footballers beat Westmead to retain the Leinster title. And Jesus, what a day it was. But we have been looking at a lot of old games and reliving past glories over the last few months. And to be honest, we might have to keep doing that because uh, a club in Dublin um, was forced to shut its doors and shut everything down actually after a... a uh, player tested positive for COVID-19. Um, I knew this on Saturday night, actually. It was Manowar, GFC in, in Fingal. Uh, scary second team were supposed to be playing them on Sunday morning, and they got word on Saturday night that the game was the game was called off. And I was just thinking, Jesus, imagine that that was taking place 12 hours earlier than some even other club who they have played, and then now they're all susceptible. And you had the three, the three clubs in Cork. Now, they've all come back with negative tests, but just one scare caused three clubs to shut down in Cork. So... Argadine Rangers, Balanus Garthay and St. Oliver Plunkett still all be able to resume activities this week after their scare. Uh, three West Cork clubs called a halt to activities earlier this week as it was confirmed that club members came in contact with somebody who had contracted the coronavirus. That's somebody um, at a house party, you know, and it just shows how quickly it can all spread. Another club, so Manowar, have shut down now because of this positive test and they have to do the whole contact tracing rigmarole. Um, North, Cl- North Cork Club, Glamworth have also issued a statement confirming the outcome of a positive test, specifying that it is a player. So again, they're shut down. Um, Connor is with me. He's back from his holidays. And to be honest, I'm starting to think, <laughs> starting to think it's a wee bit mad now that we're all back. I didn't care a couple of weeks ago, but but now I'm, I'm getting a little bit more concerned. Especially, like say, I have to go home next week for the first time in 
four or five months. And now I'm like, Jesus, what have I picked up over the last two weeks that I don't know about? I've played a few games already. I've trained. I don't know. I'm just a little bit more scared than I was. What about you? <laughs> what a real positive note to, to start the podcast <laughs> on it. And, and to welcome me, welcome me back from my holidays with something like this. Something, like something I was woolly, wouldn't you? Yeah, something just nice and easy to talk about. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I, I read that at Man of War yesterday and then about the uh, three car clubs there, I think it was last week. And I think, if I'm not mistaken as well, I don't know the name of the club, but there's a Camogie club, I think, who may have withdrawn from a championship because I think there may have been a positive test uh, amongst the... Uh, amongst their amongst their club somewhere as well and this is all I suppose the worrying thing about this is is that it's all come within so essentially teams were allowed back to play challenge matches within the last week week and a half not even two weeks and there's already we're talking about five or six different clubs in different areas of the country so it just goes to show that no nowhere is kind of nowhere is kind of insulated from it this isn't related to you know a higher number of cases in any particular county it just just goes to show i think that the the reproductive level i think is is on the rise so so everyone's kind of vulnerable again and and within you know a couple of weeks of us all being joyous about you know the ga returning and everyone being able to go back training everyone being able to go back playing games where we're all of a sudden worrying again about you know the the possibility of of picking this thing up and then and passing it on to to uh to our loved ones and stuff like that so so yeah it's 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 worrying like i, I suppose uh, while the cases at the moment are kind of the the, the 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 there's only a small minority of cases and you mentioned that you mentioned the the clubs in cork and i think all the tests came back from that negative so i suppose i'd, li- I'd like to see a kind of um a, w- a wider sample of, of of these sorts of incidences before i i start to get really worried but from, from a starting point it's uh it's a bit concerning for sure yeah, like the clubs in Cork, actually, you're right, almost a red herring in, in the fact that three of them shut down, but all three have come back with negative tests. But at the time, I was thinking, well, the three clubs in Cork shut down, and statistically, there's obviously more in Dublin with more cases. You know, just if you go off what we've seen historically over the last few months. But as I say, they've they've all been negative now, but it's it's in the community a little bit. There are people meeting more. You're seeing that the, the average age is down of people contracting the virus, so... Yeah, they're they're going to spread it more. This case in Cork was a house party, and then there happened to be players in contact with this person yeah. who, who tested positive. Thankfully, none of them had it. But I don't, I don't know what you like. I'm I'm not feeling as comfortable play, playing anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm still I'm still going to because I'm not comfortable to miss a whole season. Do you know yeah. because of that? And I don't even feel comfortable saying, "Hey lads, by the way, I'm not playing." <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, just yeah. again, there's that there's that culture thing, like where it's, it's it's not a good enough excuse. It's almost like an injury, like you know, if you have a little pull in your muscle and you probably shouldn't play, you're still going to play unless you have a broken bone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's a threshold again. But I'd say, like I, I'd say you're less comfortable, Conan, about it because possibly uh, I could be wrong here, but because especially with your with you being involved in scaries, so a lot of players you would have known would have been directly affected by. The cancellation of the game with Man of War, so it's it, it's closer to home for you, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. So as yeah. opposed to me looking at maybe four or five clubs in Cork and then looking at the club in Dublin and thinking, well, you know, it's it's, it's it hasn't affected anywhere in Mayo yet. Whereas if it was a neighbouring club or a club we were meant to play, then it, then we'd probably hit home a little more. But but I think I think that's what that's what's going to happen. I think if if the if the more of these incidences kind of pop up, that the the more people are going to be concerned and the, and that and the more people are going to you know, the more people are going to start thinking about whether whether it's all worthwhile. Do you know what I mean? And I think that the the kind of the real the real thing about this, especially in the GA context, is that so so like we're looking at a lot of sports that resumed professionally, let's say, but that they're all within 
really controlled environments where the where the, the players and everybody involved is subjected to testing and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Whereas the GA, through no fault of their own, they can provide the guidelines, but it's up to it's up to individual players and you know individual clubs to follow them and stuff. So you know we're talking about you know a fella that was you know people that were out a house party and then in, in contact with you know some of their teammates who might have been you know who might have uh, who who might have been affected. And then like I was I was reading. Um, I think about there was a, there was a player at a training session recently who um, had had a, a test for COVID nineteen, but didn't actually um, didn't actually inform his uh, inform management until after the training session. So he had trained with his teammates and then informed them afterwards. So if, if that was, if that test was to come back positive, who knows what's going to happen there? So you know that I, I think that's that's kind of really um, really prevalent as well as that like it's. Um, you're really reliant on the the responsibility of uh, of 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 individuals and individual clubs and, and stuff like that, and that's why that what's made that's what makes the GA more vulnerable, let's say, than than a lot of other sports. Yeah, and that's like you're right. That was in the was it Dennis Walsh that did that piece. In yes, the, it was. We'll yeah, do, yeah, we'll do the paper review. Like, don't don't skip ahead, Connor. <laughs> no, but like that's it's actually you're right to bring that up now because I, I sort of felt a bit of sympathy for him as well because again that's the not the culture, like not that anybody would say, don't tell us that you had a test, but uh, he probably just feels like he has to go to training. And if he doesn't train, he's going to go down the pecking order. I, I don't know this guy's story or whatever, but I did sympathize with him a little bit, but yeah, you're right. Like it, it, in this stage, we all just need to be a bit more, a bit more wise and just have a bit more cop on about it all. Like, you know, and we all have to help each other out because that's the only way it's going to work. But it's it sort of, it's not lucky. I think this is a, a warning sign now because if this was happening next week, so the championships are starting on Friday, like you know the, the one in Wexford starts on Friday, kicks everything off, and mm. if this happens next week, and if it happens in Wexford or if it happens in Dublin, which the hurling championship starts on Sunday, like what happens then? Like it's still that's still not clear. Like if a club has to shut down for two weeks and there's a positive test, is the championship going to go on without them? That's the thing. Like, I, I really don't know myself, Conan, and we've we've talked about it a few times. And like I, I've I've read as much as I I possibly can about the difference between close contacts and and all that sort of stuff, and whether you're within two meters, you know, of uh, for for a certain amount of time of, of of a person on the pitch, and all that stuff regarding contact tracing. So listen, that's like I I, I don't envy the the COVID officers and clubs, and I don't envy like people in county boards who are responsible for having to um having to implement any kind of um anything that's going to like happen as a consequence whether like teams will be withdrawn withdrawn from championships and stuff like that and and to be honest like uh, because i i think i was maybe lulled into a false sense of security because the the you know that the number of cases had gone down and stuff like that and you know it looked like like a large pockets of the country were largely free of the virus but i suppose the the, the thing about this is that like it was always susceptible to, you know, some sort of. I know there hasn't been a huge surge or anything like that. Like there's, but there's been a little increase in the number of cases and and maybe the reproductive reproductive rate. But this was all. This was there was a chance that this might happen when society re- would reopen. I suppose, and mm. even more prevalent when you're talking about when you're talking about sports like the GA, when there's going to be mass gatherings to 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 a certain degree, maybe of of, of fifty and under people. So. Listen, who knows what's who knows what's going to happen? But like this, the thing is, is that like this has all happened as a result of kind of challenge games that have taken place, you know, over the last, you know, week and a half to two weeks. Like I, I know my my club, for example, played our first challenge game lately. Whereas from next week on, championships are resuming across the country, so there's going to going to be games to come in thick and fast. And if anything, the likelihood of this of these sorts of things happening is going to increase even more. So, 
listen, I like I hope it doesn't happen, but the, like what's happened in the last week and a half has kind of served as a as a warning sign for what could happen when 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 the action returns and there's going to be far more games in in a lot of counties throughout the country. Yeah, well, it's, it's returning this weekend. Um, TG Cahar have announced eight eight games for hurling for football. Uh, two hurlers they kick it off this weekend. So on Friday it's in Wexford, St Martin's v Other Tabala, and on Sunday uh, the hurling championship in Dublin, Ballyboden v Kilmacud. Uh, next Friday, Kilmalock v Napiercy in Limerick, and then the Sunday is the first football game on TV, and it's in Cork, Castlehaven v Carberry Rangers. Um, there's Galway that same day is deferred coverage, Sarsfield v Portumna, and then the Friday after that, I'm obviously most interested in this is the Down Football Championship <laughs> with Kilcoo v Mayo Bridge. Although I was actually excited about this because I thought it was knockout, but there's a back door in that, so it's. I was thinking, geez, Kilcoo yeah. v Mayo Bridge, that's insane, but they're both going to go, go back to the quarters at least, you know, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, Corrafin are out then uh, that Sunday, and deferred coverage is Simonstown Gales v Screen in Meath. Uh, RT have one game announced so far. I think I'm right in saying um, that's August first. Uh, Cork uh, Glen Rovers v St Finbars. But um, so it's good just to see some like football and hurling on the TV schedule again. And to that note, like the the GA have announced some match day regulations that they want people to follow. So I suppose we'll we'll go through some of them. The first one is a designated water break. So after 15 or between 15th and 20th minute on each half, the referee can decide when the players all go for a water break. I'm seeing this in the Premier League. A lot of people hate it. I actually don't mind it when I'm watching because it gives me a chance to go to the toilet. <laughs> sure. yeah. Your and own I, water I, break. Yeah. And, I, yeah, and I drink a lot of tea, so I actually always I start to hate around the 38-minute mark normally when I'm watching a Premier League match. So um, it's a good it's a good relief for me in a way. But I don't know. Like I, I'm not really one to take much water during the game because I'm usually just looking for oxygen. <laughs> you know, usually, yeah, yeah. usually out of breath. But like, yeah, I can. People might enjoy it, but I can see it being a. I can see it frying your head because you go over and the manager will be looking to give you a quick team talk, and you know, yeah. when you're you're in the middle of the match, it's the last thing you need. The problem with, the, I suppose, the problem that I see with the prep with the water breaks in the Premier League is that it completely breaks up momentum. And it's nearly now because like we've become used to it and the players have become used to it that they nearly there's nearly a drop off or something just before the water break or something like that. If that made, if that makes any yeah. sense. But um but like in, in regards to the in regards to the J this is this is something that's gonna take a lot of getting used to because especially under the new circumstances, I'll just use like an example. Like we played our first challenge game yesterday, for example. So because you're not you're you're obviously obliged to bring your own water, right? And you can't, you know, you can't your gear your gear isn't it's not going to be over in the dugout. So, so, for, so yesterday for, we played a challenge match with, we played it in quarters. So it was, it was basically essentially the same time that, you know, you'd play before a water break comes in, but all our water, like we had left our bags up where the dressing room is and we were like 150 yards away. So for the first, we didn't have time, you know, we didn't have time to go up and get our water. So we didn't even have any anyway. And I was thinking about that then during the game, like say, so the championship for us is on August bank holiday weekend. Like, and if, if the weather was class, for example, you know, you, you probably could do with water, yeah. you know, more than every 15 minutes. You probably need, you know, you need to drink every couple of minutes. So what do you do then if there's not water breaks? Are there designated people? Do the subs line up at, at certain, you know, there's a sub that has the, you know, the water bottle for a cornerback and a wing back on a certain side and, you know, for a half forward and a wing forward on the other side and stuff like that. So it's just, it's, it's going to take, it's going to take so much getting used to. Like I, I'm, I'm not particularly in favor of the idea of, like a water break during the middle of the pitch. But if you're not allowed water carriers, 
there's going to have to be some time, you know, for for players to to get water on board because we're not all like you, Conor. We can't just uh, we can't all all survive without our our supply of. Uh, I have water during the game. Uh, I'm not saying I don't need water. I'm saying I prioritize oxygen first. <laughs> and I don't have enough oxygen to get the water on board. Um, but actually, so I'll just skip ahead what you're saying there because the, one of the other uh, regulations is that subs and team officials should be positioned on opposite sides of the pitch. So even like, you know, your examples, probably it's not a bad suggestion having somebody lined up for the wing back and the cornerback, but he can't beat the other side of the pitch because the other team is supposed to be the other side yeah, of the pitch. Yeah, scratch that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering, like, well, that, there's not that many flashpoints anyway, but in a way, it's probably not a bad thing in a way having the other team. It always seems, things seem way more easily diffused when the two dugouts aren't on top of each other and they're the yeah. other side of the pitch. It always seems a bit more relaxed, you know, because you're not hearing what they're shouting and stuff as well. You know, and sometimes when you hear a manager say something or he comes up past the dugout and that just sort of it's it gets everybody else going you know and then yeah. suddenly there's fever pitch and then people in the the pitch are reacting to that um selectors are no longer allowed under the pitch probably not a bad thing no. um only a maximum of 24 players but i thought that was the case for championship anyway like only nine subs i thought you had to do that yeah tw- i thought it was closer to 26 26 um, thank you right yeah long, no, um but i think it's inter county is 26 anyway um if anything like i like i know I know in like in, in club football down here in the last couple of years, there's been a couple of examples where you'd have like a county final and the program, there'd be like 49 players on the program. <laughs> Ridiculous like that. So if that, if that helps to put an end to that sort of practice, then, then yeah, I'm all for it. Like that, that, should, that should be the case anyway, because that helps the person who's 12th or 13th sub. Like, you know, it's like, well, just go and play with the second team. Like you, you're yeah, probably yeah. not going to get a game here. It's, I know you train and you're part of it and stuff like that, but yeah, I don't know. It's just I remember one time being a sub in a championship in Derry and it came on with a minute to go and then I couldn't play the reserve championship, you know, and it was like, what was yeah, the yeah, point yeah. of that? Whereas if I had been saved from that substitute bench, I would have been I would have been able to play. But um a maximum of five uh in football and seven in hurling team officials. Again, I don't think that's a bad thing, and probably no. most clubs don't have as many, but like I was thinking about a team like Ball and Derry and Derry who used to notoriously have about 30 selectors yeah, you know yeah. and they were all there and again that was part of the sometimes I thought that helped intimidate the referee and you know even when those new rules came in they sort of specify you're only allowed a certain amount on the dugout I don't think it really affected a lot of clubs and a lot of refs don't implement it what do you think of that one? No uh, I, I, I think the same and especially as you said there like um the, the rule about you know opposite sides of the pitch I don't think is a bad one either like I I I, I think that would, that would be a good one if it could be enforced you know like in general as opposed to just just for for the for COVID-19 and stuff but like I suppose the thing is is that you might have a pitch where the the side of the pitch where the dugouts aren't on is absolutely tiny you know mm-hmm. and, and not you know it's not you, there might be a fence there or a wall or something like that and you can't facilitate that but I think you make a good point there when like I've been in situations where you know, your backroom team, the size of your backroom team, or even the size of your bench and things, you know, it's it, just things get out of hand. It's like, it's not supposed to happen, but it happens. And then, you know, sometimes that the referee can be influenced if there's more people bellowing at him the whole time. No, he can be yeah. influenced. He can be influenced in, in one of two ways. He can be influenced by, you know, getting intimidated by that and starting awarded things to the team with mm. bigger representation. Or I can go the other way and say, sod them because you won't shut up. I'm just going to keep, you know, kind of um, given, given decisions to the, the opposition team. But like, no, that's like, I, I listen, I, I'm not involved in a, in a backroom team or a management team, but I would say that like five for football and seven is plenty to be involved anyway, especially under yeah. these circumstances. 
the use of dogos is discouraged. As soon as I see discouraged, I think, well, it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, is, it, is, is it a rule or not? Like, you know, um, uh, and I also was thinking, well, what happens if it starts raining? Like, you know, it's going to yeah. be a nightmare if you're being discouraged to stay out of the dogos. Like, I, I can't see that being implemented. It says, um, but they may be used, provided the government guidelines around social distancing are followed. I mean, a lot of dogos won't be able to follow it. So mm. I don't know. Well, I'll be interested to see if that one's. Um, that one's held up, and again, these players are all training together anyway. Like you know, so it's yeah, yeah. Um, what's the other one? The referee has the authority during the game to send any person in breach of the regulation to the stand. I mean, the referee sort of has that authority anyway, just doesn't yeah. always use it. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. Um, and the last one here is there will be no handshakes, no spinning, no nose clearing. I know a lot of people will be like, well, there shouldn't be anyway, but do you know what? <laughs> Sometimes I think you need to do that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that stuck out for me was uh, huddles must be socially distanced. I mean, does that defeat the purpose of a huddle? Yeah. Uh, like yeah. Is a huddle still a huddle if, if players are socially just, you yeah. know, they're two metres apart, even if they're a metre apart, unless they have the longest arms in the world. And so, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Boys, get, get arms, closer. They can stretch around each other, but... Um, We're too no, far apart, lad. Get closer to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I like I, I just don't see that one uh, going ahead. Like you know, there's a lot of like sometimes there's important talk. Sometimes there's a tactics board in the middle. People are sort of huddling around naturally to look, even if they don't have arms around each other. I just can't imagine 24 players being two meters apart from each other in a big circle. And yeah. you're talking. Um, yeah, but anyway, like so that's that's the regulations. And I am I'm looking forward to. It. I love just seeing fixtures listed out on a TV schedule. I just hope that we can bloody get them done. What uh, fixtures, by the way? Just to say, Conan, like is in the like this is it's nearly like the the counties themselves, like you know, had got these particular fixtures ready for TV this weekend. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just like you're on Bukilku Mayo Bridge. I'm I'm I I've been told that like in Cork you, you don't get a bigger game than Rover uh than Rovers against the Bears. Um and even in Galway I'm just looking Carpin, obviously All Ireland champions three times in a row, and they're playing Utrard, who won the All Ireland Intermediate Championship last year. So mm. so what a kind of step up and welcome to senior championship football for for Utrard and Galway. But uh even that then you've Ballyboden and Kilmacud, two of the biggest teams in Dublin, and uh in Limerick, Kil Kilmalik against Nibirshik. Um both of whom are, are Munster, Munster championship winners, if not even all Ireland winners in, in recent years, if I'm not mistaken. So you've got pretty pretty much the, the pick of the bunch, but something that you can start to kind of plan your weekend again, around again, like, you know, which is uh, just a, like a, another kind of sign that things are sort of coming back to normal, which is great. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Okay, I'm yeah. not, not going to yeah. rain on the parade. I'm going I'm to stay with excitement. And I want to talk about Jack Churton now. Um, well, I know, I know, I know he's a soccer legend, but I think he's a legend in Irish sport in general. And he just brought, he brought a lot to the country. Like you know, he brought everybody together to start off with to support the Irish team at a time when that was more of a football thing, like that or that soccer thing. That's what the soccer players did. They all just that was their fraternity, and the GA had theirs. And it wasn't long before that where GA people weren't allowed to play soccer, and and vice versa. You would have been discouraged. I was thinking about Jack though, because obviously a lot of uh, there's been a lot of good eulogies and a lot of tributes to him and. He was a bit more old school in his methods, of course. He took over in 1986. And I, I, I did start thinking about sometimes there's a real beauty in simplicity. Like, you know, somebody who knows exactly what they want and they're going to get people fit and they're going to get them working hard and they're going to make them tough. And like, that's your lowest base. Like, you're not going to go below that. And 
when you have a manager like that who comes in and just sets that standard, and I mean now in GA or soccer, like it's 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 good. Like you, know, you probably need more going forward, but when somebody comes in and it's just like, you know, we're going to work hard and we're going to stay together and we're going to be tough. Like there's there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like it's you have to have you have to have a certain character. You have to have a certain kind of type of individual who's able to kind of. Um, who's able to kind of uh, implement that message, let's say, amongst his team. There has to be there has to be complete trust. First of all, there has to be complete belief by the man who's kind of looking to get across that that simplistic a message or somebody will just think them think of them as a bluffer who just isn't prepared to put the work in. And then there has to be they have to have the personality to be able to transmit that so that the players themselves will ultimately completely buy into it. And that was that was definitely the case with with, with Ireland. Like, you know, what I mean, I like you know that like let's say and this has been mentioned a couple of times over the weekend since since Jack Charlton passed away but like even though his his style of play was the most simplistic but there wasn't it wasn't as if there was universal backing for it let's say you know the famously Eamon Dumphy went against it John Giles might have had kind of um you know reservations about it and he wouldn't have been the only one I mean like he's you're talking about dropping the likes of, of Liam Brady like probably one of Ireland's most talented players ever and David O'Leary for a long time as well before he got back in so like it, there, there there wasn't kind of universal approval for it but like Jack believed in in what he wanted to do and more importantly, he convinced his players to like absolutely believe in it because otherwise, like players will pick up on any shred of doubt, and it wasn't there in his case. So, yeah, so that like there is there is a comfort in that, I suppose, in that like this guy here is it might be simple, but he's absolutely clear in his belief that this is going to work, and if he can transmit that well enough amongst like a group of players, well then like it's it the the impact it can have is powerful. Mm. so this is like yeah I was thinking about the personality thing as well so obviously we can talk about coaching there's a lot more elements to managing a team and being successful and personality is a big one just just having that confidence in yourself like it fills everybody else around you with it like and when you have like when when you are that sure of yourself and you're sure of your own vision it is infectious and I was thinking about Jim McGuinness like you know, he's probably the best example in the GA and I think he's probably a good hybrid of somebody who brought like you know, so much co- coaching mechanisms to it as well. But he absolutely just wanted his lowest base to be the fittest team and the hardest working team. And he was able to fuse that with the belief of winning. Like, you know, the book that Kevin Cassidy did, um, this is our year. I think it was Declan Bogue who wrote it. Yeah. And uh, Kevin Cassidy talked just about the language that Jim McGuinness brought to the table. It was, it showed them like say Dublin formation on a, on a PowerPoint or whatever. And I brought it up in a dark room and everyone was looking at it. And the way he suggested it was, here's Dublin and this is how we're going to beat them. Do you know? And yeah, just, yeah. just that difference. Like, it's like how often have you been in a changing room where you've just been spooked or like, you know, that's almost the idea of like telling you how great the other team is and how up for it they're going to be. Whereas somebody like Jim McGuinness, you know, they were able to come in and pick out holes in the other team and pick out the great stuff about their team and show you exactly how you're going to beat them and tell you it was going to happen over and over. And I think in, in Jim McGuinness's book, actually, he talked about they were doing these runs in the sand in 2010 or whatever the preseason was before he took over in 2011. Um, and he said to me, he wasn't going to do it that early, but he just said to me, vocalize it. He said, we are going to win an Ulster Championship. And like just, just from the outset then, being able to say that and then just fill everybody with the belief, I think it's just so powerful. Yeah, yeah. You can you can imagine what the players would have been thinking coming out of that meeting when he said, "This is Dublin's formation. This is where got we're, what we're going to do." Now, in fairness to him, like I, the Declan Bogues book would would refer to the the infamous game between yeah. them in twenty eleven. So they didn't actually end up winning that. But like a few years later, after Donegal won in All Ireland in twenty twelve and kind of tanked in in twenty thirteen, 
they obviously played them in the semi-final and by by all accounts since I think um, Donegal had a had a training camp in Carton House. I think the week before the semi-final, absolutely, and then came out of it absolutely convinced they were going to beat Dublin, and they did. And they they showed they they beat Dublin in in such a way that completely transformed the way Dublin played in the years since. Mm. You know, D- Dublin's template from maybe 2015 onwards has been based a lot on their experiences against Donegal in 2014. So you can see the transformative impact that 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 that, that particular incident you are instant you referred to had on had on Donegal and Jim McGuinness is a perfect example. And like I know like I I've told this story uh, a couple of times in this podcast. So like I'll I'll I promise this is the last time. But you mentioned you mentioned Jim McGuinness's book there. And uh, just in the year before he took over Donegal, he was with the Donegal uh, under 21s. And there was a there was a connection in our club to McGuinness, so they um they they got him down for a training session, and uh, he trained us for about uh, two hours, and it was the most basic stuff. Yeah. I mean, like the, the first drill was, it was like two two lines, two lines, and basically running at each other. You know that drill, hand passing back and over to each other. The, oh. the first drill you'd probably do it under sixes, but he just like throughout the whole session with that drill as well. It was like you're going to do this at 100, percent and he stopped it after 30, 30 seconds. Because we weren't doing it 100, percent and like we never made that mistake after that. Because he introduced punishments and stuff like that, yeah. and they were tortures. It was a two-hour session; it was absolute tortures. But by the end of it, like we were coming out of, oh my god, we could do anything here, like you know. And then I was reading Jim McGuinness's book. Then a few later, a few years later, and he said the exact same thing as his first session with Donegal. He said he asked him to do 100, percent and they weren't doing it, so he got them to do it again. Um, and it was just like he he kind of he kind of went on afterwards that like after a while of doing that, and after a while that the team were so used to. So used to his message and and kind of how he wanted to go about things that there was complete belief and it, like listen there was it was obvious to them winning the All Ireland in twenty twelve going so close in twenty eleven and going so close again a couple of years later so in a, in a GAA example I think that what what you're talking about there now granted Jim McGuinness also had the kind of tactical nuances that 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 Jack Charlton mightn't have had as well and it would be unfair to Jim McGuinness to undermine um, that aspect for Donegal as well but like it's clear that. On the other side of things, he also had what Jack Charlton has was was that personality, that ability to transmit his message to the team, and that ability to instill complete belief in his in his players and his squad that that what they did was going to achieve success, and it did. Mm. And like, and that's the other like Jack, Jack was funny as well. He didn't, he wasn't worried or riddled with sort of self doubt like like a lot of GA managers are. He he didn't care about how he was coming across in interviews. He was just completely relaxed all the time and. I thought about Klopp in in that instance, and it wasn't a GA example, but like that stuff, it spreads as well. Like you know, when mm-hmm. when when you are like confident, and like again, like the, the same way panic spreads when when you're a manager who's worried about things, like that goes through the team, and then that's why people never take a chance or they they play safe and they, and they don't play to the best of their ability because they they know that the manager on the sideline is shitting themselves as well, and he's sort of transmitting that. And someone like Charlton didn't do that, but there is. There's a fine line between confidence and cockiness, and I thought of uh, I remember Stephen McDonald. <laughs> his back got up when I mentioned this because he was captain of Armagh at the time when he was on our podcast. We're 2011, Armagh were playing Derry, and they came walking out into the pitch, you know, with this real strut. And I think it was down in Clonus, and um, but they, he said that they were told to do that by their psychologist, and it was you know, the idea that like, you know they owned this arena or whatever, and they got absolutely hammered by Derry that day in the Ulster <laughs> semi-final, like you know. But he still stands over and says that wasn't the case or whatever. But I do always just think there's a fine line between confidence and cockiness. But the best manager is able to to do that, and Jack was a, sort of a perfect example as well because as confident as he was and as much 
as much assurances that he brought the Irish people, I think, you know, we never let them get ahead of themselves either, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any excuse to mention that Armagh versus Derry game, of course. <laughs> I was, when you mentioned Klopp there as well, just thinking of, um, you know, the complete, not not being afraid to kind of make a fool of himself around like that. And just thinking back to, like I'd say, if you asked the question, he was asked about the coronavirus early in, early, you know, early doors. And he was like, yeah, what do I know? Like, I don't know anything about it. You know, why are you asking me? And I'd say if you asked that question of the 20 Premier League managers at the time, that 19 of them probably would have tried to, you know, come across with some sort of opinion or scientific opinion or something like that because they felt they might look like a fool if they felt if they said something like Klopp did. But he was he was just completely honest and, and not afraid to make a fool of himself. Now, granted, he's kind of had the, had the few years to be able to be safe in himself doing that. But you're right, like even the smallest things like that, how, how they transmit themselves publicly and stuff like that. You know, if, you know, if the public think, if the public have that perception of, of your manager, you know, from, from kind of wider standpoint, you know, that like, you know, you're going to, you know, have complete faith in them from within the camp itself. And, uh, and yeah, like, uh, going back to McGuinness, he was probably the perfect example of that. And just before we leave it, cause we have Ryan McCluskey coming in. So he's been in the changing room, uh, high level in soccer and a high level in GA. So I wanted to chat to him just sort of about the, the differences and the stuff he can bring over from both sports. Um, uh, but I saw Mick Foley was tweeting about a statue of Jack Churton and he's making the case for it to be in Mayo. Yeah. Uh, for a number of reasons, I guess, to reflect at how Jack sort of spread football and soccer into the into the rural areas in recognition of the immigrant story. Um, so we connected with the charting years and allowed us to look at England differently. And just that Jack loved the place and he went, he went, uh, he went fishing there. But I did see someone writing back to him. Uh, so Johnny Heavey, I think he's from Dublin. I guess he's from Dublin. But he was saying, why not Lansdowne Road? Feels like a statue in Mayo. We just gathered moss. Could we not just rename Kilchima after him instead? <laughs> and I thought, who better to put it to than Kilchima's favorite son? I, I'd love to know the context. Did he did he mention why Kilchima? I mean, because uh, listen, like all of Mayo would, would consider itself, you know, would would consider to have a connection with Jack Charlton, but the the connection would definitely be in Ballina, where he has a house, uh, where he had a house for for years. Like he, he I think he was over on a visit uh, years and years and years ago, and fell in love with the place, and fell in love with fishing in the River Moy. Um, so you know, he's had that connection with Balna because he's been there for so long and even it was funny like uh, I heard a couple of stories over the weekend that for years like Jack Charlton used to come fishing in Balna all the time and just like you know you're used to if you see people fishing it's just you know a couple of lads you know perched by the side of a river but when people got wind of Jack Charlton that he was fishing along the River Moy that like they used to gather a crowd to just watch him sitting there in silence fishing <laughs> he, was, he, was that, he was that big of a deal but uh Ah, listen. If it came to renaming Kelchma, I, I I definitely have to consider it. But uh, I'm not I'm not aware of any special connection um, Jack Charlton has with here as opposed to with Ballina, where it's probably more more appropriate. Kelchma says no. That's what I'm getting. No, from. no, no. no, no. <laughs> anyway, next up we got Ryan McCluskey. Conan Doherty was a fantastic analyst, and I mean, I really heed what he would say in your program. I think Tyrone are going to win. I'm going to go with them. I, as much as I, I predicted Dublin to win the All Ireland at the start of the year, I just think Tyrone are going too well. They're unaffected by the other team. Too well set up. I think they've been preparing for Dublin for two years. They're ready for them. I'm, I'm going to go with them. Yeah.
All right, delighted to have Fermanagh legend, and I suppose a legend of the soccer world up north as well, Ryan McCluskey on the line. But Ryan, I typed in your name with Porter Down beside it on YouTube to see if I could get any cool goals or anything. And the first search that comes up is uh, it's a rally, a UVF rally <laughs> at a bonfire night in Belfast somewhere. What do you have to say about that? Hey, no comment. I wasn't involved that night, to be fair. No, that wasn't. Um, I, I never, I never actually knew that, but uh, there you, there you go. That could be me, my claim to fame. Um, no, uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say maybe the the, the term legend maybe is overused now, but uh, now nah, listen, I, I enjoyed the years play, playing both, and I, and I suppose was was fortunate that that I, I caught under different managers as well, and, and I was lucky to to do that. The, the body. Body mightn't say that at this age, but uh, no, no, listen, I, I loved every minute of it, minute of it, and uh, I suppose like any other um, ex-player that will say the same, you know, it just flies and it, it goes in so quickly at, at the time, you know, you know, you're thinking you have oh, a lifetime to play, but but uh, no, it's, it's not the case, you know. Well, like you won a you won an Irish league with Portadown, didn't you, and a CIS Cup as well. It it was actually I uh, we we it was Division Two obviously at the time then and to to get re-promoted there were a number of issues and financial <laughs> irregularities that that had happened before before my time and unfortunately and and uh, yeah we we I'd moved from Dungannon at the time and then we got promoted and uh, I think to this day I uh, we we are the only side to win a major trophy outside of, of the, the Premier League or the now Premier League which which was Division 1 obviously then back then as well you know so it, it was massive I to, to get back up um, and unfortunately then the, the club went through the same tenure again of, of going back down and unfortunately uh, they've again actually reinstated themselves in, in the top division and got back into to the Premiership as well this this year. Um, despite COVID, they, they uh, were promoted. I as as one of the, the I think they think were up there at the top with with you know I think the consistent scores or average scores of points. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see get, get back up as well. And and uh, yeah, enjoyed my my time at the club. Uh, and and uh, wasn't involved in any of that other kind of carry on. So it was, <laughs> you're you're an interesting one because you were playing. You were playing obviously in the early noughties as well, and it was probably the time that Joe Brawley still creams himself over. Like you know, where you were able to play with Fermanagh and play a bit of soccer as well. Like so, how did you find the the contrast when you were going from changing room to changing room? Was, was there a difference in both sports? I, you know, it, it's well, obviously, listen, I suppose as well, and um, you know, you know, in the environment, in, in terms of the, the soccer environment as well, you know, you would probably get that kind of maybe the, the pretty boy tag would have, would have been bounced about in, in terms of when you were going back into a Gaelic change room <laughs> but in terms of the, the soccer change room itself yeah there was, there was plenty of lads running around you know worrying about their, their maybe hairstyles and, and what they looked like maybe going out you know into games and and uh, no that there would have been a bit more kind of yeah well, well players would have been a lot more vocal actually you know mm. In a soccer change room, um, and and certainly more more opinionated, um, probably for maybe the wrong reasons in terms of you know you then go into a, a GA change room and 
Yeah, not 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 to say the boys aren't vocal in, in the change rooms, but but certainly um, there's a more controlled maybe environment. I would say definitely in a in a, in a GA change room, you know, you know, than the soccer um, change room itself. But um, yeah, there, there would have been a, there would have been a difference now in terms of possibly yes, the, the attitude and and I know listen, the Premier League has transformed as well and, and improved. But you know, during my my time and, and playing the 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 GA change room and the GA setup for an amateur sport, you, you know, it, it was miles ahead in terms of of training and uh, just development uh, more than anything else. You know, and and even people may may say, but from Ottawa being a smaller county, you know. There was no comparison. We we actually had a ported down coach uh, come down one of the evenings mm. and watched one of the the the, the GA sessions. I think it was under Malik O'Rourke at the time, and he just couldn't get over the the whole setup from from you know pre training to training to post training and and just how the whole session was conducted. You know, so in terms of you know the the differences, you you know they they were. Very, very stark, I suppose, at that stage, and and obviously over the years, I, I know that the soccer change room has has started to change as well. You know, yeah, I suppose they were relying more on skill, I suppose, which was you need a lot more, I, I take it, in that in that sport. But I actually wanted to ask you because I only I played soccer for a little bit, and I I found it very frustrating, like just you talking about the, the how vocal people were, and it's, it's not even the change room; it's on the pitch and. And it actually it doesn't come from a bad place. Sometimes it's well intended, but it's just that's the culture almost. It's just it's it's whinging to me. Like you know, it's just everybody just giving out about every single play, and uh, I wreck my head. How did you find that? Uh, it it would have been very opinionated, I suppose. Um, you know, you kind of have to look at it then, and, and maybe maybe the context were, were and, and I was fortunate to play in the Irish League. You know, for some people, it's it, it was their livelihoods as well on 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 the line. So you know, I suppose you could argue that they were entitled to their opinion. You know, albeit it, it mightn't have been the best opinion at times, but it certainly was um, a lot more vocal. And, and you're you're right. Um, there there were times, God knows, when uh, you could have probably grabbed a couple of boys with the throat, and probably vice versa. A couple of boys probably could have grabbed me with the throat as, as well. But um, you you know. I think, guys, as time, as I said, have you know has went on, and, and just knowing lads that are still obviously playing in the league, and even local lads, you know, with some of the local kind of clubs as well, that that the game um, and the change rooms ha- have moved on, and uh, I think it's like anything else. Listen, there's a lot more education out there. We we blame the likes of, of social media at times, and in terms of a. Uh, you know some of the stuff that may be on it, but in, in terms of coaching and and even management and and you know you know even systems going back to stuff like that, you know there is a lot more logic and learning for players out there. Now it it is obviously accessible to everybody. So I think as as that side of things has moved on from a social media point of view, I think that the kind of knowledge base and and for everybody um, involved with with both codes has certainly improved and and I, and I think maybe standards you know have improved because of that and, and maybe going back to that point maybe there's not as much shouting if a coach does explain something you know it's, it's kind of dead and buried but uh, I, we, we definitely played with a few feisty car- characters along the lines and, and uh, they weren't afraid to uh, let us know what, what was right or wrong you could say oh, Would you react to that? Because I always find it very hard to not turn around and tell someone to shut up like you know which obviously isn't good either <laughs> on my part um, 
I suppose listen I, I, myself and even to name the likes of Shane McCabe who was kind of doing both and, and a few lads as well at that time even we had McGinn running around at that, that stage as well Niall and certainly in Dungannon you know and there was quite a few actually GA lads that, that, that were playing both uh, codes and, and at that stage um, actually there probably would have been a good Gaelic team in that change room in, in Dungannon uh, but, but at that stage we, we it actually wasn't wasn't too bad. Um, it's like anything else, I suppose. I it, it depends. It depends on how maybe bad or, or something happened. Uh, I can't think really of any any kind of cases that that uh, really stand out. To, to be honest, I suppose I like like most players. I, I was far too hard on on myself as well. And, and the times, you know, where where maybe I maybe missed past the ball or, or didn't run or whatever the case may be. I usually would, would have a tantrum with myself, yeah. borderline Tourette's moments. So so I think it was clear that nobody else had to kind of remind me what the problem was because it was usually tongue lashing myself and making it known to everybody, which which is a good thing and a bad thing, obviously, as well. But, you know, so now that there's the, wasn't really too many times now that I, I would have went um, and, and maybe had to go back, you know. Well, that's actually interesting because in my club in Derry, we, there was only one player who played soccer, but... He was the one player, every time he made a mistake, he, when he was playing GA, he would shout, fuck off, Donnelly! And he, his name is Donnelly, like, you know, when he's, he's shouting at himself. And, um, it's just such a culture shock to everybody else. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, listen, it was, and, and certainly for those who, who maybe hadn't played both codes um, or been involved or, or maybe had I had, had other experience in other codes, um, certainly if you're in a, in a soccer team room and, and there's a lot of I suppose maybe I egos and 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 must maybe wrong saying egos. You can get that in any change room, but there's there's certainly a lot of uh, I suppose type of my uh, vocabulary maybe maybe and and uh, being quite opinionated. But you know if, if you're a quiet introverted type of character, that that is a hard environment to go into. Um, and I just think I with with the GA you know you know room change room. You know it's 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 certainly different. I uh, and. Uh, when I was playing, certainly, anyway, there was, there was kind of a lot more focus and, and a kind, maybe a bit more knowledge, maybe about the change room as well, which is why I think maybe the soccer change rooms now, you know, would, would be a different place and a different environment. And I'm sure they, they have improved, although, listen, there's always going to be characters in any change room as well, you know. Well, I suppose for you, like, you've got great experience now in that. Like, yeah, you played GA soccer and you've had all these different managers and different regimes and played with all these different players. Like, it must be a great thing now for you just to pick the best examples out of each of these things and sort of decide what works <laughs> well. Like, because we've sort we we were talking about Jack Charlton earlier, and you know, just that idea of um, sometimes like something very simple. A coach who comes in and just wants hard work and he knows what he wants, and it's nothing too extreme. Sometimes that works, like you know. But obviously, you can if you want to sort of go on to the next level, you would take a bit of that and then try to fuse it with with something else, somebody else is doing. Ah, uh, listen, it's it's been. It's been great to, to be, I suppose, I in, in so many different kind of coaching environments, and I'm just been fortunate I to, to, you know, play for my club for a number of years, and obviously then um, at the Skinning Gales, and then obviously with Fermanagh, and then obviously that that soccer background as well. And, and you're right, you do pick, you, you kind of do pick um, the traits that that you feel uh, you enjoy the most, maybe as a player as well, and, and you try yeah. and implement them. Um, and saying that, listen, it's it's. Not just that easy either. You know, I've I've certainly enjoyed my 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 time at at, at Bird thus far as well. Um, and I suppose I am cu- cutting my teeth at the minute, and and it was the right fit at the 
the right time as well. But um, there's there is there's nothing beats playing. You know, as as as, as much as you you know, I, I have enjoyed the, the last year year and a bit now. Um, and you you do try and implement them things, but you know it's it's probably the control element more than anything else. You know you know there's still that side of me that that wants to go out and and maybe I just get involved in an episode of play, whatever that may be, and you mm. know maybe look for a pass, whatever it is. And it's not the same running down the sideline, you know, kicking somebody or trying to go on or anything like that. But no, it's 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 just hard to take that out. But no, listen, it's it's been it's been brilliant, Diane. I've, I've loved listening every minute of, of playing, and, and thus far, you know, I've, I've tried to use, you know, the best of of, of those different managers and in, in, in both codes as well, and and. I suppose in that sense, you know, I have no no issue with lads, you know, playing different sports, whether it's it's soccer and Gaelic or, or Gaelic and hurling, whatever the case may be, even rugby, you know, and, and there's quite a few handballers at the club as well, you know, right. you can multi-skill and, 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 you know, have as much kind of and high skill levels as, as you can as a player, I, I feel that can only benefit for, you, you know, your, your team as well. So f- for me, that's a big thing. And, and uh, if lads, you know, want to do that, I was fortunate to, to be in that position. And, you know, I, 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 you know, would back any lads in that position as well. T- tell me, um, you probably think of it differently now in the position you're in, but, do you, did you find that? Yeah, I know you said that the guy from Portadown came down and he was so impressed with the GA training. But was there almost too much control over a GA session as well? Like again, sometimes I think you could get a good sort of middle ground there, like you know, where the soccer's a bit more relaxed and a bit more kicking around and stuff. Sometimes that's good as well if you're able to sort of fuse the two. I I suppose it's about getting it is about getting the balance right um, as much as. I suppose I you enjoy that kind of controlled environment and and I borderline maybe re- regimental at times and it's, it's something I you know certainly enjoyed you know it was also nice as well to to you're right have that flexibility and have have that a bit more you could say lazy fair approach at times yeah. you know when you were looking up to to a club training however you know it was mad to think that that one was an amateur sport and the other one was semi pro and and you know I suppose you were probably training hard and working harder and and the amateur code, you know, and, and putting a lot more hours in and a lot more development in. And then the one that you're you're actually getting paid for, you had less hours of devotion maybe towards it. So in a roundabout way it was it was weird in that sense, but um I suppose in a way as well they were balanced out. And I suppose that's not to discredit any of the managers as well that I would have worked on because, you know, they would have you know, asked us and, and understood, you, you know, if and whatever the, the games were, and they would have tried to, I suppose, keep us as, as healthy as, as possible to, to keep us on the pitch. So, you know, that was important as well. But um, no, it, it 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 was nice. It was nice to have again that balance, and it was nice to have the the, the different codes, and it was nice to obviously play in, in, in as many kind of arenas as well, and and, and different codes. And, and I know you touched on. Big Jack Charlton, you know some of the some of the memories of of that Irish side, and and just reading some of the the, the articles now that kind of have come out about him, and and uh, I, I can remember even watching one of the tournaments that was down in I think possibly Palinskenry, um, uh, where we were down at an under fourteen competition failout for Inniskin and Gales, which we we ended up winning as, as well. But I remember we. I think we jumped all around the pool table. I'm not sure which game it was. Whenever, whenever uh, Ireland were, were playing in, in one of the major tournaments, and just listen, you know, it was just uh, it was it was one of them things. And, and you know, we were all at a Gaelic tournament, you know, and, and obviously at under 14 level, you know, obviously really 
you know, looking forward to whatever was was coming up in the next, you know, forthcoming days, whatever, and and uh, to have this event on, obviously as well down there, it, it just made that kind of trip as well. So you know, an iconic figure, and and I suppose I from from everybody as well, and I think the whole nation has has sent their condolences at this stage as well. But uh, a, br- a brilliant man, and and uh, yeah, it just good memories more than anything else, you know. Yeah, I suppose he was really important, especially for somebody like you, because before him. Like, you know, there was a bit of a divide. It was like you had your, your soccer people, your football people, and you had your GA people. And, and like, there wasn't long before that where you weren't actually allowed to play both, you know. Yeah. And then someone like Jack Churton, especially in the North, I think it was a bit more strict yeah. as well. Like, you do not play for that crowd down the road. But he comes in and then the whole country gets behind it. And then suddenly it's it's okay. It's cool to play a bit of soccer yeah. as well. Yeah, no, no. And and I suppose he, he passed it on to, to some of the players as well. And they... And, uh, I remember when when I studied in in Sunderland. Actually, at, at the time, there, there was an influx of of kind of Irish players at, at the time, and uh, there, there was a behind <laughs> behind the closed doors game kind of played between ourselves and the, in the university. Um, and we actually ended up playing through through. It was, I think it was a, a young lad uh, that was doing physio in there. And again, I don't want to give any names, out, but uh, no, the Sunderland lads played us um, up and. Durham possibly at the time, yeah, and we had, uh, yeah, we had a, we had a brilliant game. Your boy Butler was there, uh, Ingham. Um, we had the Rosslers. We we had big big Quinner was there, you know. And and you're right when you when you talked about that kind of, uh, you know, playing the soccer and playing the the Gaelic. Obviously, then Quinn obviously brought it into his side, and I think that was the year that they went third or fourth in the Premiership when Sunderland uh, were flying at that stage but it, but it was absolutely fantastic they, they were down in all their Nike you know Nike gear and, and there was us a crew of college boys and I think it was on one of the St. Patrick's days as well uh, my first year possibly there I can't remember the date now I'm, I'm, uh, the, early, the early age is, is kicking in at this stage, but it was it was fantastic just uh, to to play and and then I suppose you know that's I think it was Quinn that actually organised the whole thing as well. So obviously that you know going back to Jack 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 Charlton and that divide and crossing that divide that obviously had you know seeped in this sorry big Quinn as well and he was flying that day actually as well. But again there were like glass figurines. We we weren't allowed to touch them that day. It was behind closed doors. And it was more the element of, of a bit of crack as well. But you know, he was an iconic figure and, and obviously this and that that has, you know, sparked a generation and, and obviously it, it has uh, ignited I just, you know, a, a number of players to go on and and again, um I suppose you know, remember him in the best possible way as well. You know, by by having events like that that people don't know about until now, and I've hung probably busy with this stage. But sure, he'd be, he'd be all right. You know, <laughs> I got what I needed from you, Ryan. You'll <laughs> <laughs> be googling that one now, right? Hopefully, he's not listening. <laughs> well, tell me, is are you still in the in the hospital? No, no, sorry. We we um we we are out in it's like a business uh, centre now at, at the moment. Uh, we we've opened up uh, like a gym service out there. We we actually opened up in my local club uh, in Skilling Gears. We, we were grateful to use their services at, at the start, and then uh, we moved out to a, a local kind of estate there in a business centre, and we we've set up a gym. Uh, myself and ex uh, I suppose I from on a player uh, Cahill Beacon. Um, Cahill would have played a bit of soccer as well, so we're 
we're both multi multi coded now in that sense. He would have played for Battle of Manor and stuff as well. So um we, we have a partnership now and we have recovery services and then we have um uh, a gym um, unit and, and we were actually just last week turning over the, the gym unit as well to to make it COVID compliant. Yeah, and I, I was actually, you were talking about um, running up and down the sideline there. Did you see Owen Mulligan's clip when he was in London? I think he was on well, the sideline. I side didn't thing. want to mention that. Sorry. I didn't <laughs> want to mention that because I'm conscious we, we play... Um, we, we play obviously uh, a number of throwing teams, so I didn't want anything to come back to, to, to haunt me. But um, I seen that all right now. It, it was like a But uh, he, he's uh, he, he's no, he's he's a, obviously listen a top player, and and I'm sure he'll probably breach into management at, at some stage. Although I think he could still play at at this level anyway, and still play at club level. Um, I think he's still across the water at the moment. I'm, I'm right in saying so. I don't know if he can get back, but I know the club. Or, yeah, I just you know, saw him. He's a massive the... loss to that club, and, and they'd, they'd love to have him back, you know. So. Yeah, I just saw him on the sideline at one of the games, and uh, he wasn't playing. Yeah. A player was running up, and Owen Morgan <laughs> crossed the line, <laughs> hit him over the shoulder. <laughs> you, do, you do what you have to do. I don't know if I go that far, but I'm <laughs> saying that. You know, the game takes you, and, and then whatever will be, will be, I suppose. So, listen, need most nearly at times, and... I'm sure if it was last minute stuff to, to maybe win a championship or something like that, God knows what what might come out of me, you know. Yeah. So if it's in you, it's in you. So nah, you you can't deny the man that and I'm sure you got a slap on the wrist and, and the deal was done then, you know. Yeah. Well here, Ryan, thanks a million. I'm sure I'll see you at the next bonfire night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I well, I'm gonna have to go Google, googling here to see what the story is, but uh, no. <laughs> Okay, no, thanks so much uh, for your for your time as well and uh, hope we're all safe and we'll, we'll chat soon no bother best of luck can't touch this a few weeks later, they played Phil Kenny below in Nolan Park. The same year. And oh, they were being hockey. But the camera went in. There was a fellow warming up. And Jesus, you should see him. <laughs> yeah, the fuck. He was massive. Legs, ass, bit. But I burst out laughing watching him. There he was, the epitome of what I said. I told you, homeboy. You can't touch this. Yeah, that's how we living and you know. You can't touch this. Look at my eyes, okay, so we'll start with Joe Brawley. Who else? <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like the ah, oh, the soapbox that Joe Brawley still has. I was actually on the RT podcast the other day, and I made the mistake of talking about Joe Brawley on the Sunday game. <laughs> I can see them. <laughs> I can see them sweating under the collar. I did correct it to talk about him being on Air Sport now, but uh, just that's it's amazing. Like he writes something and he just sets the agenda, and everyone else starts talking about it. Even this, he's not talking about anything in particular, and actually his point isn't great, but it's just still some. Lovely little anecdotes along the way. And of course, it starts with his favourite, favourite person, Owen Mulligan. I've never, never known a love as pure as Joe Brawley's and Owen Mulligan's. <laughs> so he's describing leaving Crook Park in 2005, through the tunnel, past the change rooms, out to the coach exit. And now this is a quote. And there he was, standing big in the evening sun, bleached blonde hair, looking left and right. <laughs> it sounded like a Carly Rae Jepsen song at this stage <laughs> it was Owen Mulligan and the big man was standing alone uh, anyway so it's 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 good chat like he's gone about Owen Mulligan like you know just not sitting well and being so famous and he wants to go out for a few quiet pints with Joe um, but uh, a couple of good stories there about you know telling 
uh, Mickey Hart that his granny had died on a few occasions just so he could miss a few sessions. He sort of reminded me of Dennis Rodman and the Chicago Bulls. He liked to just go off and do his own thing for a week and miss training and you know <laughs> come back refreshed. But uh, yeah, he said he told the story then, or Joe Brawley told the story of Home Mulligan telling the story as Joe Brawley always does <laughs> of Mickey Hart. <laughs> Coming to his, it was four years later, and his granny actually did pass away. And Mickey Hart came in, shook his hand, you know, said he was sorry for his loss or whatever. And a few minutes later, Hart was sitting there, and he sort of nudged him in the elbow and said, "So she's finally dead." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was nice. Stephen Ireland um, could have got a lesson or two <laughs> of uh, of uh, one Mulligan and how to deliver the news that your your grandparents have passed away when they actually haven't passed away. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose it was different in Steve, in Owen's case. He was just usually just doing it either so he could go on the beer or because he was already on the beer and didn't you know wanted to go training. I didn't want to go training. <laughs> I thought the best part was when the um, his clubmate was uh, Raymond McGrew. Yeah. Um, it was only a young player coming up at the time, and he uh, text. He was on the beer. And he said he was half caught. He couldn't go to training. So he texts Raymond McGrew and he says, oh, tell Mickey my granny has passed away. And Raymond McGrew's like, I can't tell him that. He's like, go on, go on, it'll be fine. So he pulls up to train and Raymond McGrew does. And um, Mickey Hart comes over to him and asks him where Owen Mulligan is. And Raymond McGrew says, uh, he told me to tell you his gran- granny has passed away. And all the boys heard it and started laughing. <laughs> so I thought that was very funny. Like, it, like, listen, Joe, as usual, is really entertaining. His, the point of the column is lost in the middle. Oh, somewhere. my God. <laughs> all the adults, but um do you know like i i came away like having enjoyed it i'd like whether i expanded away from it i'm not sure but uh certainly funny and, and really entertaining as usual i think that sums up you probably it's like i enjoyed it i don't know if i got anything out of it but i enjoyed it <laughs> yeah. and, and like that piece yeah like there, there's absolutely nothing to do with it the old mulligan thing is just thrown in there for for no real reason it's a, it tells a good story and you think it's getting to the point of uh like this is the point of it where you know peter canavan got on to your mulligan for yeah, he fisted over a point when he was three on goals, two on one, and he apparently Owen Mulligan felt sorry for Fermanagh, so he just threw it over. But I think this was on their sports show between uh, Mulligan yeah. and Brody, and um, he said that Canavan came over and he was like, "What the fuck are you playing at?" And he was shocked. And what do you mean? And he said, "What the fuck are you playing at?" And I, uh, this is Brody writing, but I just said, "What?" And Canavan was raging. He said, "We were three on goal and you took a point." I said, "We were eighteen points up, Peter." And Canavan said, "Don't do it again. I'm warning you." we're here to play, not fuck around. And I thought, oh, that's great. And this is the point, Tyrone are serious. And and then he just go, like goes off on it in the direction he wants to go off in. And it's about Maddie Donnelly. And he texts him Maddie Donnelly about um, no knockout football and you know, uh, not been going through the motions. And, and Donnelly said, I can't wait. And uh, like that, so basically the last five paragraphs were sort of the point of it. It was like knockout football. That's what he wants. But yeah, and I think everybody likes that and probably used the example but I think it was a bad example of Derry v Down and that was an amazing game in 94 like unbelievable and yeah. and the fact that it was knockout maybe did add to it but I sort of look at that as a shame that Derry or Down are gone in the first round the same way Tyrone or Donegal are gone in the first round like you know I would love those two to meet each other yeah. in a quarterfinal or an Ulster final you know just it's, it's almost like if Federer and Nadal in their primes met each other in the first round of Wimbledon two weeks yeah. ago do you know it's just it's not the same so if it's knockout, I would like it to be done properly, but sure, whatever. Yeah. The implication though, again, there's a pull quote from it as well. The pull quote is Maddie Donnelly saying, I can't wait. But like the implication from Joe Brawley is that Maddie Donnelly is looking forward to that game with Donegal even more this year because it's knockout. But yeah, I bet you if, if Donegal were playing Tyrone next year and it wasn't knockout and Joe Brawley was texting um, Maddie Donnelly about it, he'd also say, I can't wait. I don't, I don't know as I don't know as Maddie Donnelly is as enshrined to the idea of knockout football as Joe is but you know credit to Joe he makes it seem like that 
like the way the way he writes it in the piece. We were talking about Jack Jordan there. You had sent me on a piece of Gerlock Nans, was it? <clears throat> yeah, it's just it's in the star today. So there's there's a pullout in the star. Um of uh, just just a Jack Charlton pull out, and obviously there's going to be loads of anecdotes and stuff, and you mightn't expect it, but there's one from um, there's one from Gerlock Nan. He tells a story of how um, Claire, the Clare team were gathered in a, in a hotel uh, in Dublin the, the morning of the All Ireland final. I think it was versus Offaly. I think it was in 1995. So that um, the Irish team were in the same hotel at the time it was near the airport. So on the so this is the morning of the All Ireland final, and uh, the the Irish team were all there. So. Jarlick uh, Nan said that, like in in the the hours before they left for Crow Park, they used to they all gathered in the room with the selectors and the physios and the physios, sorry, and stuff like that. And they used to randomly call players to, you know, to it was ostensibly to to be called up for a physio appointment, but it essentially was just to have a chat about them and try and calm calm their nerves and stuff like that. So Jarlick Nan noticed that uh, Jack Charlton was staying in the same hotel room floor, and he saw him pass by and he he noted the room that Jack was going into. So he said he started ringing around the hotel rooms of the the players that were coming up for a physio appointment, and just to knock a bit of crack out in the morning, you know, of the the All Ireland final, that he told the players that were coming up for physio that the room number of their room was actually Jack Charlton's room number. So all the players started coming up, and they had the door open because they knew what was happening, and they said that all the players were knocking on Jack Charlton's door. <laughs> Jack Charlton was opening the door and slamming it in their faces. <laughs> He said after a while that after it happened five or six times that Jack Charlton just left the door open and sat in front of the door just with his legs crossed to kind of intimidate anyone who might think about doing it again. But I just thought it was gas, especially from somebody like Na- somebody like like Nan, who who I thought would have been treating it kind of um, far more serious in, in the morning of an All Ireland final. But you can imagine like you're nervous enough, you're going exactly. up for physio, then you knock on the door and Jack Charlton answers it. So. I was just very funny, very funny. Yeah, that's great. And like that, yeah, that stage the work is done. There's no need for posturing. You can have a bit of crack and focus at the right time. It's yeah. Spoken like a man who was never in an all in final. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we mentioned uh, Dennis Walsh's piece in the Sunday Times. So it probably is pretty. Um, it's a very good piece and important enough. He, he's got a good line in it where he says, "One house party. That's the three Cork clubs. Uh, one one house party." And one COVID positive party goer was enough to force four clubs to take evasive action. And basically his whole thing is this can work. And we were always told that there was going to be a risk to this, but it's up to the players now. Like, you know, so his thing is that for the GA, this is the opportunity they were waiting for. We were all waiting for the numbers to go right down, the R number to go down, the cases to go into single digits. We got there. But now not messing it up hinges on thousands of players making many thousands of good decisions. And that's it. Like, you know, like you mentioned the player like having the COVID test and not telling anybody and, you know, and then the people who are maybe not following the guidelines outside of training and then going to training. Like, you know, it's tough. I get it. And everybody's probably fatigued. But if you do want to play and you don't want it all to be messed up, especially in your county, then it is incumbent on you to to take that action because you could be the one who messes it up. Yeah, like he refers back to um, the interview that Killian de Gaskin did um, mm. back in May, I think, where he where he was kind of saying that like, um, you know, until there's a vaccine and like there's there's you know no sign that there's going to be a vaccine anytime soon, that when society does eventually resume, I mean, when when Killian de Gaskin gave this interview was either at the peak or not far past the peak of the the impact of the pandemic in Ireland, but when society does eventually resume, and this obviously includes sport, that. 
it's there's going to be a level of risk so it's it's, it's a level of, a level of risk that people deem kind of acceptable so when it comes to return of ga the level of risk that we have at the moment is what the government and what people participating in it have you know considered acceptable but mm-hmm. but for that to work for that to work that's entirely dependent on that's entirely dependent on the actions of the individuals and the individual clubs within the ga and just what's happened in the last week or so goes to show you mightn't think anything of it you know like i'm I'm sure people who went to a house party didn't think, oh, sure, you know, I can go to a house party, it's fine. And then they realized that like, oh, wait, well, then four clubs have had to shut down because basically one or two people went to a house party or, you know, th- this might happen elsewhere where I, I don't know what happened with um, that guy who I referred to who didn't realize, who didn't tell management afterwards that he had had a COVID test and he'd already tra- trained with his club. It's just but basically that's that's not that's not going to that's not going to be that's not going to be acceptable. That's not going to be tolerated anymore. And if you want this to work, and we all want this to work, it's there's like huge individual responsibility on you because we're not in a professional environment where players and and clubs are getting tested and and you know managed within an inch of their lives, and the responsibility is taken and taken out of their hands. This is ordinary club players, so the responsibility very much and the onus lays on you. So, like hopefully, what's happened, as I said earlier, hopefully what happens, what has happened in the last week or so, will kind of will kind of you know, wake people up to the need to cop on. And because if they don't, we're going to be hearing a lot more than this. And as we kind of flagged at the very start, we could be looking at a case where, you know, the worst case scenario, the like seasons are abandoned altogether. Bang on. Uh, Colin O'Rourke haven't always completely agreed with his pieces. They're always, they're always decent and they're always strong. And he sticks to his point. I'm like, too probably, but uh, this is a good point he's making. So, He's talking about a player in me. Even at the start, I had me back up thinking, mm, what's, where's he going with this? Is somebody who played football, he got a bit of football at the start of the year before everything shut down, and now he's got two months of football. And I was thinking, well, what's wrong with that? Everybody has the same thing. But his problem is clubs, or his point is clubs would have no problem playing league matches when their top players have gone off to play county. You know, yeah. and it's, it's, it's up to the county boards to do that. Like, that's the thing. This isn't an inter-county problem. If your county isn't scheduling matches, beyond the championship then like that that's they're the ones who aren't catering for you and in dublin they have a cup competition planned you know if you go out in the championship group you have a cup competition that could take you right into october you know so if you're really desperate for games you're going to get it and i i come back to the thing where what a worker saying like, i can talk about the county boards i actually think that the clubs could be a bit of a problem here as well though because he's saying the clubs won't have a problem playing league matches I think this is where a lot of the issue comes with fixtures is that clubs don't want to play without their best team and their best players are obviously their county players and uh, especially when there's relegation and stuff on the line but a lot of counties have, have catered for that Monaghan do it well in a point system where it's worth more if your county players are available most places have playoffs for this reason so you're not going to go straight down you know you'll have a chance with your best team then you get back out of the playoffs and I actually think when your county players aren't available it gives people a chance who wouldn't play you know, they, they are now playing in, in that team and getting more games. So it's up to the clubs and county boards to start pushing for that a bit more. And especially if, it, if we're all paying membership, like we paid full membership this year, it could push yeah. for a few more games. And like maybe if you don't want to have any relegation in the league or whatever else, you can talk about that. But if the issue really is that the club players aren't getting enough games, you can play games when the county players are gone. You can play them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. You, you hit on a good point there. It is up to both. I mean, like, it is up to both the county board because a lot of clubs, and like, we're not playing any league in Mayo. Um, that was decided a couple of couple of weeks ago. Um, so, like, we're playing championship and then we're, we're playing divisional cup games to kind of keep, um, 
keep players ticking over and stuff like that. And there'll be divisional cup games either side of the championship. But it'll still, there's there's no league. So like that 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 would have been because there there'd be a lot of there'd be a lot of teams in Mayo. I would imagine that would be you know doubtful of of how they'd be able to are doubtful of 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 how it would go without their county players because they're so reliant on their county players. So in that instance, if the county board was strong enough, they said, well, you know, we're going to. Um, I know this was but to a vote, so I get like I can't I can't argue with that because I'd say the county board would probably say, well, we put it to a vote, and the clubs voted not to have a league. Yeah. But you could say that it could be taken out of the club's hand and says we're going to play the competition anyway, just to make sure that you know the players who want games at that that end of the year are facilitated. You know, um, now like I'm 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 probably the, I'm probably the wrong person to to ask. I, I'm I'm not exactly up in arms. Like I'm I'm one of the older players. Like I think you. have given out about this occasionally as well like I'm not exactly unhappy at the moment at the prospect of a shorter season <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean like uh, I don't mind if it ends in October and I get a you know play a bit of five myself five aside and keep myself ticking over but like I can definitely understand the frustrations of somebody who's looking at it now you know thinking like like Colin Warwick says in Mead that they're you know they're looking at maybe six games and they're thinking geez I'd, I'd want way more than that and especially when you when you come down to issues like having paid membership you know, to 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 get a lot more than that. So the like the likes of soccer, for example, would have they, they they seem to be, from my experience at least, you know, trying to make make more of an effort to to have as nor as as normal a season as usual, despite despite everything that's going on. Now, granted, they don't have the the kind of club versus county game, but I think uh, it's I think it's a good piece by 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 O'Rourke. Now, I think I think as well, like he sums it up in one sentence: it's club players just want regular games. Are they asking too much? At least they know when they are getting a game. So that's that's an argument that's not necessarily confined to the COVID pandemic, but, but it does make sense now as much in the general scheme of things as well. Mm. And I so sometimes I think there's a bit of an imbalance in the media coverage because like, yeah, for me and you here thinking, well, this is great. We've got a shorter season. I know, I know people who've come back to play just this season because it's not as long a season as it yeah. normally is. And yeah. I think when, it, when you read Pat's Balan's piece, or we're, we're better to finish. <laughs> um, He's talking about he's talking about the intercounty game, and he's saying it's supposed to be a leisure time pursuit. And it's like get off the stage, Pat. Like you know, this is the top sport in the country, and he's saying it's supposed to be a kick around. Like and he's, he's talking about the he's worried about losing players, and he, he, he compares it to the American model, which is a completely wrong way to go. So he's saying that they have mass yeah. participation up until twelve. And then people lose out and they start missing out, and but that's because everything in America is is designed that way. Like beyond yeah. sport, the culture, it's it's all elitist, it's capitalist, and they're unashamed about that. And it's like that's the the whole idea of sport. It's like if you don't make your college team after high school, then you're finished. And it's just depressing, but that's that's the way it is. And it, the GA isn't like that. It starts with club. It's all started with club. Whereas the the American sports system has started with the American dream and the idea of making it and being the 1%. And if you're not going to be the 1% and there's no point, whereas the GA system starts with club. And if there was no county, the club would continue going anyway. And I think he's just got that wrong. He's, he's making the point about under 14 development squads. And I get that point and look, I could, I could live without them, but you know, like I played in one development squad and like you went away on a Saturday and you felt great. You were sort of picking up from what other people in different counties were doing. And like you weren't missing like I've coached teams where you're losing those players that's fine they're gone on a Saturday they're training with better players I don't see a problem with that either I can I can live without it but you know just this attack and this this panic that that club is 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 going to die a death I, I just don't get it yeah I, I didn't really know really know where to start with this <laughs> this, piece, this piece by Pat's band to be honest because there is so much in it 
And essentially, I think it essentially boils down to obviously elitism in the GAA and now it's driving a wedge between club and county. Um, and a huge reason for the drop in participation levels in the GA at a certain age, like I'd say, certainly from minor onwards. And listen, I, I agreed with him on a few things. They said he, the training to playing ratio is way too high. Mm. Um, the reason why soccer is probably the highest participation sport that we referenced there again, that there's, there's probably more of a focus on enjoyment and there's definitely a more, you know, you, you have way better idea of, you know, being able to plan a schedule. And there's a lot to be said for that, especially for people who might have a more casual kind of interest in the sport. But, I agree with what you're getting at as well. And that, like, say his point on the centres of excellence, like I can see why it be, could be problematic in that there's a danger of, you know, making, you know, a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old potentially seem elite in comparison to yeah. his clubmates and stuff like that, maybe. But that can be, there's, there's ways of handling that as opposed to them not having them all together. Like, uh, on the other hand, like playing for counties, playing for your county is such a badge of honour for a young player. And and not only that, but like, if if counties don't have their act in order, you know, in terms of their underage structures and stuff like this, you can see like an awfully being the most recent example until they kind of got their house in order of how that can impact mm. not just on senior level, but kind of on the on the, the status of a, of a county as a whole and stuff like that. So like it's not as simplistic as as kind of what, what Pat was laying out there. And as for just to just to say as well, as for like calling playing inter-county a leisure activity of all people to be saying that Pat's Balan, I mean, like we're talking, I think it was a few weeks ago we referenced that how Pat used to, Pat was on about his training schedule when he yeah. was playing for Kerry and his mother used to let him sleep till 12 in the day. And now I'm, I'm actually rereading um, a brilliant book by Michael Foley, you referenced Michael Foley earlier. I'm rereading Kings of September at the moment. It's, um, it's about awfully beating Kerry um, to deny them the five in the row. And it's just like at the moment I'm reading about when Pat Spillane got injured and the lengths to which he was going to try and get himself back. And there's nothing leisure about that. I can, t- I can tell yeah. you, Do you know, so like I've, there's, there's, there's an element of hypocrisy there as well. But, you know, as the saving grace for Pat Spillane, as usual, he did a quote, did include a quote. quote so, this, time, this time was from Abraham Lincoln. I think you yeah. might elaborate on that. five quid on Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, this is the beauty of Pat Spillane. Like, you'll never be able to guess his quotes. Like, <laughs> he's going from Dolly Parton to Abraham Lincoln. Like, this, this <laughs> man's got a portfolio that he can call on. Um, and it was, democracy is government of, by, and for the people. And that's how... He, that's how he wrapped up his column, and I think that's how we'll we'll wrap up the show. Unless there's anything else you want to chat about, there was there was one thing I wanted to mention, Conan. Um, so my club, Kachmal uh, GA, are running a fundraiser this weekend. Uh, it's a 24-hour fundraiser, and it's going to start on Saturday at 12. It's going to run till um, 12 the following day on the Sunday. So it's an it's a it's a memory of a, a clubmate of mine who passed away a couple of months ago. And the fundraiser is designed to um, to support the the Sloyne Family Support Fund. So the name of my clubmate was Dara Sloyne. So the the Sloyne Family Support Support Fund can be found on idonate.ie. And there's details of the event. I won't go into too much details about the event itself. It can be found on the Kelsey Magia Facebook page if anyone wants to know. But um, all all donations that uh, are are welcome you know, toward, towards the, the Sloyne Family Support Fund that can be found on idonate.ie. So just this weekend. Um, on the hour, every hour, we're going to have people running slash walking slash soloing a, a 5k route around the town. We're hoping to keep it going for, for 24 hours. So, yeah, if, if anyone here is interested that lives in, in the vicinity of the, the Kelchamaw area, um, there's there's details, as I said, on the Kelchamaw Twitter and the Kelchamaw Facebook page. So, so get, get in touch. And yeah, again, that's uh, the, the donation page, which is designed to provide practical assistance for, for Dara's family. Uh, that can be found on idonate.e and the name of it is Sloyne Family Support Fund. 
lovely stuff. Um, soon to be Jack Charlton GAA club down in Kelsey. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's great stuff. And yeah, we'll we'll leave it there. Then, I suppose on a on a nice note and a nice a nice thing to be doing. Um, yeah, and we'll see you next week. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. <laughs> sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.